Do you wonder if others are dealing with the same project management challenges as you? Not sure where to turn for guidance and leadership? Office Hours are in session as we discuss project management and PMOs with global leaders, hearing their story and learning their secrets to success. Our goal is to empower you and help you elevate your PMO and project management career to new heights. Welcome back to Project Management Office Hours with your host, PMO Joe. Welcome, everyone, to Project Management Office Hours. We're the number one live project management show in the United States. And today we're broadcasting to you from the Phoenix Business Radio X studios in Tempe, Arizona. I'm your host, PMO Joe. And for the next hour or so, we're going to be talking project management with our special guest. Hard to believe that it's February. I mean, one month is gone already for this year. Uh, Time is flying. And hopefully everybody's had an opportunity to watch our live stream events uh, for the first shows that we've done on this year. And we are now, um, I don't know, experienced a little bit on the live streams, feeling a little bit more comfortable. Uh, So we'll see how the rest of the shows go as well. I also want to say thank you to the PMI Phoenix chapter. Uh, They hosted me last Friday for their January breakfast kickoff meeting. And that was a lot of fun. We talked about the project management journey and how organizations uh, and PMOs mature as they move through that journey. So that was a great show. So thank you for that. Also want to mention that coming up in February on the 22nd here in a few weeks, uh, the PMO Leader Platform is going to be hosting a panel discussion uh, on the Digital Transformations webinar. Uh, That's going to include... Uh, Americo Pinto, Laura Bernard, and myself as the panelists. So that's going to be a fun time. First time ever that Americo, Laura, and I have actually shared the stage together. So I'm super excited to to be with them. And that's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, also want to thank our sponsors, of course, the PMO Squad and the PMO Leader. Uh, without them, none of this is possible. Uh, certainly go out and visit their websites to learn more about all they have to offer and how they can help you in your career growth and development. A reminder, we are live streaming for those who are out there and watching the show. If you have questions or want to interact uh, with Luis or I, uh, please feel free to ask the questions. Can't guarantee we'll get to all of them, but uh, if you do ask, we certainly will try to get to them and um, make this be an interactive experience for everybody. So with that, I'm super excited today to have with us uh, from Australia, Luis Gardner. Welcome, Louise. Thanks, John. If you can uh, take a moment just to introduce yourself so everybody out there gets to know you a little bit better, that would be fantastic. Sure. Uh, and first of all, I want to say I'm super pumped to be here. I'm a, a longtime fan of the show, so thank you for, for having me on. Uh, I'm Louise Gardner. I'm the founder and managing director of Pledge Consulting. I set up the business in 2012, so almost 10 years ago now. Um, really because I was super passionate about helping organizations to get value from the way they manage projects and in particular value from from PMOs. I was client client side for about 15 years before I started the business, had a a range of senior management roles in in large companies. So I'd seen a lot of consultant activity, good consultants and and bad consultants. And I got to a point where I thought, you know, I need to have a a crack at this. Uh, I think there's a lot of value that can be had. Other thing to note about me, uh, you might tell by the the accent, I'm not originally uh, Australian, although I am a very proud <laughs> Australian now. Uh, I uh, am from Liverpool in the north of England, uh, and I've been here almost 18 years, so the accent's obviously not going anywhere. So. Well, thank you so much for joining us, and certainly appreciate you uh, taking time. I know it's your beginning of your Friday, uh, end of our Thursday over here. For those watching and you see me wearing a, a bit of a sweatshirt, it's, it's our winter in Phoenix, which usually means instead of being hot, it's just warm. Uh, but today it was actually cold. It was this morning, it was zero degrees Celsius, 32 uh, when I took helped take the kids to school. So it was a bit chilly for us. So I'm not used to the cooler temperatures. I know it's I summertime for you over there now, right? Oh, it's, it's yeah, it's beautiful here. Actually, it's a little bit cooler today. We've had a run of kind of 35 degree days. So it's borderline a little bit too hot sorry to rub it in but I I had a Facebook memory pop up this morning and actually nine years ago today I was actually in Scottsdale for Super Bowl Sunday Ah. and there's a huge big power outage so um, 
we missed the Super Bowl, which not being a, a huge fan of, of <laughs> didn't trouble me too much. But uh, yeah, uh, but it was warm. We were in the in the pool, so yeah, it's uh, it's cold for, for Phoenix. Well, the Super Bowl will be back in Phoenix again next year. So come on back. Uh, we'll we'll get together. I invite everybody, whoever's listening, come on out for the Super Bowl, and then. For those on the on the live stream, uh, pop in the comments. Just let us know where you're you're joining us from, uh, Australia or states or anywhere in between. It'd be good to know where where you're joining us from. Uh, let's start with maybe a little bit of your story before we jump into the PMO type topics. You you mentioned it in your introduction that you're originally one of the Beatles and you're from Liverpool. Maybe not. Maybe one of the fan club members. Who knows? Uh, but you're in Australia. So how did that happen, right? How do you make that journey from the UK to Australia? Yeah, look, um, it was never really part of the plan. I didn't really have a plan. Um, you know, I was kind of a bit of a, a directionless kind of teenager. I, uh, I dropped out of school in, in year 11. I was just about 17. I was pretty smart, but I was bored with school. I, there was a world out there that I felt like I needed to in, engage in. So I had a, a series of um, of jobs, let's call them. Uh, I, I worked in a recording studio for for actually while I finished school as well. That was quite fun, um, and it went downhill from there. I uh, I did a stint at the the local KFC. Um, worked in a bar, worked in a car rental place, um, and eventually I fell into actually a call center job with a water company. Um, and back in those days, um, you didn't read off a script when you worked in a call center you actually had to know how to solve people's problems. They gave us such great training. You know, somebody called up and said, hey, we've got no water. We had to learn what the causes of that might be and, and do diagnostics on the phone with the customer. So I was in that job for about 12 months and, and you know, kind of enjoyed it. But I enjoyed it, the learning um, more than the kind of social interaction. Um, that got old quite quick. People ringing up angry every day. So I saw an internal job advertised for a project controller. Now, I had no clue what a project controller did. I had no clue really what a, what a project was, but went for this interview. And I don't know if I was the only person that applied for the job. The, the competition must not have been fierce, uh, but I, I got the job. And the, the really cool thing about that is that the guy that gave me the job, who, who went on to, to become quite good friends, um, he taught me everything he knew. You know, he was a, a civil engineer. He, he was probably in his 50s at that time. He was really a mentor, and he taught me everything he knew about project controls, PMO. And I begin to get very passionate about the, the discipline of you know, structure and governance around projects. Um, I kind of a bit unusual in, in some ways because a lot of people become project managers and then go into PMO. I actually started off in PMO and then actively started trying to get project manager mm. roles because I felt like you can't properly govern projects unless you've had the credibility of delivering some. So um, I went off and, and did a few delivery roles um, and ended up running that team actually um, several years later, about six years later, I ended up managing that team. Um, so I became the project controls manager. The projects that we were working on were, were huge, you know, multi-million pound projects, civil, mechanical, electrical projects, some IT and technology projects. So there was a huge, um, a huge learning experience for me. I got my, my hands into everything. You know, we implemented PPM tools. We put in new risk structures. Um, we did a lot of contractor management. So I was able to, to work closely with the big constructors, big global constructors, which was great experience that everything that was going to come after. And then after a couple of years of been in, in that role, which, which really was kind of a, a, a dream job for me. I really felt like I'd found my niche. So the, the company, um, I should say as well, um, sponsored me to go back through uni. I realized very quickly when I found my place in the world to advance any further, probably needed to go and finish my education. Mm -hmm. So the company supported me. I went to uh, Liverpool University and then Liverpool John Moores University and finished a, a Bachelor of Business degree. Um, uh, the company let me do it part-time. They were so supportive, you know. It was really, uh, if I hadn't have come to Australia, I don't know if I would have ever been able to leave that company because it was just, you know, I never seemed to exhaust the opportunities. So that was all great professionally, but personally I, I wasn't in such a great spot. So mm. um, I'd renovated a house, 
So that was that had been like a five-year project and that had come to the end. Um, I'd finished my degree. Um, I'd finished a, a relationship, a fairly long-term relationship. And I'd had some health problems. I actually had, um, I was only about 27 at this stage, but I had a thyroid crash, so which went undiagnosed for a really long time because young people aren't supposed to get that kind of thing. So yeah. it felt really awful, like just, you know, lethargic, bloated. So I was in a real personal funk and it was a good moment to ask what's next and what's next for some reason involved moving to the other side of the world. Australia had never really been on my bucket list. I'd never visited before I decided to move here. I'm not a big fan of the cold and the grey. Um, so I knew wherever I was going had to be sunny and warm. So off I came um, with uh, I packed up all my house, packed up a, a three-bedroom house into one suitcase. And, <laughs> oh, geez. Um, off, off I came for, for adventures. And I've got to say, initially, it wasn't a career move. Um, there wasn't a lot of PMOs here at that stage. There were some. And I'd come out of the water industry and there wasn't a lot of water investment going on in Sydney at that point. Now that changed reasonably quickly, um, but it definitely wasn't a career move. It was a, it was a personal move. Uh, and with hindsight, it was the best career move that I've ever made. Um, but that's, that wasn't really how it started off. Well, and I just want to mention that we're all in good hands. The Marvel Universe is looking over us right now. Tony Stark has joined us. So Iron Man, thank you for joining us. Uh, I appreciate that. Keep us all safe as the show continues forward. But that's, you know, that's the, one of the themes we have from, from the show and all the different guests we've had is kind of that what's next moment, right? Everybody who you hit that crossroads at some point, whether it's your career, your personal life, you, like you mentioned, and it's, what, what am I going to do? Am I going to stay on the road that I've been on or am I going to venture off this and try a new path? And that takes courage, right? I mean, you went to a different country, you went to a different continent, you went to a, an unknown place. I, I just think everybody needs to have that incentive sometimes that if somebody else did it, I can do it too. And uh, so I salute your courage, right, to be able to make that change many years ago. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I actually think it would have taken more courage to stay. You know, probably didn't need to go as far as Australia. <laughs> that was probably where I went out on a limb. But yeah, I was, I was, I was bored, and I had no ties really. So I recognised it as being a, a now or never moment. Yeah, and again, thanks to everybody who's been joining in uh, uh, Australia and Pakistan, and we've got people for coming in from all over. And Irony Man instead of Iron Man, I like that, Tony. That's nice. You know, the other thing I, I was thinking about with you, and and as you made your change and went through all of this is that you had to learn a new industry, right? I mean, you, like you said, you didn't start out in this space. How do you, how do people learn, right? I mean, again, PMO isn't easy. Um, and, and you went in, uneducated, you didn't have a degree at that time. And I shouldn't say uneducated, but you didn't have your degree. You, you didn't come up through the ranks of project management. So how do you start off in that PMO space? Such a great question, hey, because I talk about this to people all the time when they're shifting between industry types. So for me, it was a lot of listening. I felt very exposed, actually. Every day I felt like I was going to be found out for about two years because I'm sitting down with project managers who are you know, engineers and I'm asking questions around baselines and I'm asking questions about forecast costs to complete and I'm, I'm learning this, um, all the technical stuff around project controls. Um, but without really understanding the engineering speak. So it was all about listening. I never um, I never claimed to, to know anything I, I didn't. Um, I listened, and I was, I was a fairly bright kid, I, and I was super keen to succeed. So I asked lots of questions. You know, in, in technical industries, we talk in acronyms, and that's not just different between engineering and IT. That's different from business to business. Um, and I, you know, you, you start off somewhere new and you think, oh, I should know what that means. It's, it's okay not to know what things mean. There becomes a time though, where you should have asked the question. So my whole thing was about making sure I asked the questions nice and early. So, you know, ask, ask them up front. Um, so asking questions, um, learning, learning quickly, listening, I guess that, I guess that was it really just, um, be it being keen and, and not claiming to know anything I didn't. You know, I, was, I was young enough and, and green enough I could get away with it. Well, and, and you did another leap, right, was starting your consulting firm 
you had, hadn't done that before. You worked in corporates your whole time. And now all of a sudden you say, I'm going to go out on my own and create a consulting firm. What was that journey like? I'm sure that wasn't uh, an easy road for you either. Look, it, it wasn't quite as steep a climb as, as it may have been. I really, I really did ease, ease into it. Uh, I, you know, I, very much the first couple of years, I was just a contractor really. And then you build these business relationships and then you know, the client will say, oh, can you provide somebody else who can help with that? And before you know where you are, you've got you know, a few, few teams on the go. So it was a gentle slope rather than a steep climb. It probably took three or four years really before it was um, you know, sustainably bigger than just me. Um, so so it's been a it's been a gradual journey. Um, I never felt any pressure to um, to build something big. I want to build something good, and that's mm. you know that's that's the journey we're on. I'm not looking to build an empire here, um, but we are a growing business, and we're striving to get bigger. Yes, I'd be lying if I said I didn't want to build something bigger, but I want to build really a, a brand that's renowned for excellence in the PMO space. That's what's really important to me. And I think because we're doing it gradually and because there's quality at the root of everything we do, that's that's kind of the reputation we're starting to become known for, for uh, certainly in Sydney and, and in, in some of the other Australian cities too. And, and you know, same for me, but similar journey for me with PMO Squad, right? It was, I'm done with the corporate world. I'm going to go run a project somewhere and be my own boss and, and never have to worry about companies again. And here we are, PMO Squad is is doing well and growing and, and doing awesome. Um, I've got a couple of character flaws as well that helped me <laughs> along this journey. So I don't have a very long attention span. Uh, what I was finding later on in my career is that you take a job and the job's fantastic. It's senior, you get the car, you get the toys. And after 12 months, I'm thinking, oh, I've kind of done this now. So being able to dip in and out of, of clients um, really suits me down to the ground. And the other thing I really like is dysfunction. So mm. to be able to go in and create order out of a bit of dysfunction and chaos, I find really satisfying. So those traits don't serve you that well in the corporate world, but they actually serve you really well in a, in a consulting environment. And one thing I learned, well, a lot of things I learned when we started PMO Squad is, you know, hey, you have to be a salesperson, you have to be an accounting person, you have to be a marketing person, right? But obviously you're an expert in your, your field, that's your trade, that you're selling those services, but you learn so much more about business which actually makes you a better partner once you you land your work. Did you have the similar experience as that? I learned very quickly what I'm not good at. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the only person probably after I, when I arrived in Australia, um, I've been here for about a year, I went and did an MBA. So um, again, I always kind of knew that I was going to start something myself. And I thought, you know, an MBA will serve my corporate career well, but it will also, as you're talking about, shore up some of these skills I'm going to need you know, when I'm out in the world on my own. What I, what I realize is being able to pass an exam in finance does not make you an accountant. Um, so um, I'm probably the only person that's done a business degree and an MBA and can't make a balance sheet balance. So very early <laughs> on, I learned to outsource. <laughs> um, I can tell you all about the theory of making a balance sheet balance, but yeah, outsourcing. So, um, you know, in the very early days, you kind of have to do everything yourself. And I was obviously at least semi-successful because here we are almost 10 years later. But very early on in the journey, you know, we get marketing support, we get sales support, we get um, definitely financial support. Um, so that was a big lesson for me. And I actually wanted to do everything myself initially for, for lots of reasons, control, um, keeping expenses under control. But there comes a point where you have to think, I'm going to scale this business, then I need to focus on what I'm good at. So that was actually quite a big learning curve for me, probably one of the, the biggest growth edges that I've been through on the journey. Yeah, it's it's another piece of feedback, right, for our listeners out there who are thinking of starting their own company. And Elise Stevens, I saw just popped on, right? And Elise has her own business there in Australia as well. And it's there's more to it than just knowing your own trade, right? It, it's it's, uh, it looks good until you get in it and it's like, oh my goodness, this is going to be a lot harder, but the reward, the personal satisfaction is worth it. Right. So have that courage to go to a different country like you did, but then have that courage to start your own company, which you did. And you get the rewards from that. I've got to say, despite all of that, 
and I work harder than I've ever done, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) I don't in terms of, you know, time and, you know, you're always thinking about the next thing, but I, I dance to work every day. I, I, I'm having an awesome time and, you know, I've never quite felt like that in the, I had good jobs. I enjoyed working with people. There was lots of positive things to be said about corporate life, but I'm, I'm having more fun than I've ever had right now. I love that dance to work every day. I had not, <laughs> not heard that. I know what you mean. The figurative, I love that. Uh, I think that's, a, that's what we all need to focus on. Absolutely. That's awesome. Well, all right, so let's talk PMOs again, right? We, we certainly touched on that a little bit earlier, but let's get into this uh, a little bit more. You, you certainly have that unique experience of not being in it when you started and, and lots of lessons learned. Of course, as a consulting firm, you're helping companies with all of that as well. But what do you think are some of the common challenges right, that PMOs face when, when they're getting set up? Look, there's a, there's a few big commonalities, I guess. Sponsorship, I think, is, is always the main one. Sometimes people are told by other consultants that they need a PMO, which is great news for, for us. They yeah. come along and help us. But they're given that advice without really understanding what it means and the level of sponsorship and the level of business change transformation, dare I say it, that needs to happen for that PMO to be successful and to to create value. So there's always a learning journey there. And it's a learning journey that needs to happen um, upwards and downwards sometimes. Most often in my experience, the executive team will have an understanding of what's required, but they'll need to push that understanding down into middle management. Quite often we, we see middle management challenges around Okay, we have a PMO now. Um, this is we need to hold them account, and, and you know, accordingly, we need to hold you you to account. Uh, but also, it's a it's a big cultural change for project managers if they haven't been used to working in that kind of standardized way that we try and introduce as a as a PMO. Common challenges usually all around culture, people, whether it's mm. sponsorship, whether it's project manager engagement. You know, I think that's that's our biggest common challenge. We, of course, get more technical common challenges around you know, people who are, want to be rigid in certain methodologies or like to do things in a certain way. We, we will always face some of, some of that. Um, but again, that comes back to me to this whole culture change and transformation piece. Do you see any difference within different industries or size companies for challenges, or is that just consistent? Obviously, people and culture are part of every company, so maybe that's just a common problem. I'm speaking, obviously, very generally, but we, you know, our our client base um, is is pretty much all big companies, but we do have some smaller departments within, you know, maybe small government agencies, local government type things. So we do have some smaller clients and honestly, if I think across all of them, and we we also service um, a lot of IT and technology, interestingly, given my background was started in construction, but most of our clients are in IT, technology, but we do have some still in that engineering space. And, you know, I'm thinking as we're talking, and I think these challenges are common regardless of how big your, your PMO team is, or, how, you know, whether you're dealing with a $4 billion portfolio or, or you know, $100,000. Um, you've you've got to get people's mindset in the right space around the PMO is here to make sure we deliver value on our investments, whether that's shareholder money or whether it's taxpayer money. Uh, PMO should be about value. So how do you overcome those challenges, right? I mean, that's <laughs> it's one thing to identify, hey, here's a common challenge you have, but the you, we make our money, right, as consultants when we can solve those. How, how do we do that? Yeah, look, I don't think there's a, I don't think there's a playbook for it. I think it's it's a it's a people-centric solution. It's about understanding the concerns. And look, look there's a lot of commonality in in the concerns. So there's probably a lot of commonality the, in the way we address the concerns. But I actually think, if I think across my team, I think my team members will address that in their own style. PMO is such a people-centric um, department team. Uh, it's about giving people a level of comfort that you are there to support them in the journey. And these things that they think can't be done, shouldn't be done, let's just deal with them one step at a time. Let's not, you know, evolution, not revolution is one of my favorite sayings. 
let's just get to the next little bit and then we'll sit back and we'll review. And if, you know, if we've got challenges, if we've got political hurdles, if we've got, you know, our framework isn't working for us, let's, let's just deal with that as we go. Um, so it's about not, not announcing I'm here. We're going to fix everything. It's going to be great. It's about, um, being sensitive in the way that you deal with, with the concerns. And again, that that's the same conversation about different topics possibly, but whether you're talking to a, a, you know, a department general manager or a CEO, or whether you're talking about a project manager who's worried that he can't get his project over the line, it's the, it's, you know, it's the same approach. You know, one thing we always hear is, hey, can you fix this for us in the next three months, right? And it's, to your point is you just can't, right? It, it takes time to go through that journey, right? It, maturity doesn't happen because you put a time frame to it. Maturity happens over a course of mature, you know, time to mature, right? I would imagine same experience that you find as well. Yeah, look, we often will be, you know, we've got three months to do this. My favorite one, and we get a lot of this, is we've had an audit report and we need to fix it before the end of the year, for the end of the financial year. Can you help? And of course, the answer is we can absolutely help you. Can we get you to where you need to be in three months? No. Can we get you to a place where you know what needs to be done and you can start to do it? Absolutely. And and usually that's enough to, to respond to audits. They just need a plan. But, you know, I, I'm um, people hate it when I say this, when I say people, clients usually, um, to set up a new PMO or to, or to reboot a, a PMO that's not firing is a 12 to 18 month journey. Um, and even then, I don't think I've ever seen a PMO that's finished. Um, but you can start getting that value relatively quickly. It's not like nothing's going to happen for, for 12 or 18 months. But you know, that you once you decide as a business that you're going to go down the road of creating a project management office or, or an enterprise project management office, and you are going to invest in that structure and the transparency and the tools and the training to get to that level of maturity, you're, what you're saying is you're going to change your business. Um, so yeah, it's it's not something you can do in 10 minutes. Yeah, I, I, and executives don't like to hear that, right? Uh, so one of the challenges, I always like to talk in uh, non-project speak to help them understand, right? And I said, listen, I've got a 14-year-old son and I'm tired of driving him to school early three days a week so he can get there for his early sessions. I, so every time we get in the car, I say, hey, Zach, you want to drive today? The reality is he's not mature enough to drive that car. So it doesn't matter if the executive, right, me, wants him to. He's just not ready. And and that's what executives sometimes need to, to get, take a different perspective on this to make sure that we're understanding that. Yeah, absolutely. And we then, I think we focus on what we can do in the time we have rather than what we'll need to come later. Um, and there's, yeah, usually, again, if they've got the right level of organizational buy-in and sponsorship, then you can do a lot in three months. You just can't finish the job. Right. Yeah. You can give them some driving lessons. That doesn't mean he can pass the test yet. Yeah. That's right. Absolutely. Uh, just a, a comment here that came in from Beatrice uh, Oglesby. Uh, PMO is about value add people centric teams. Yeah. Your thoughts on that, Louise? Yeah. Couldn't, couldn't agree more. Absolutely couldn't agree more. You know, when you set up a, a PMO or when you really want to get a PMO firing, the first question that we ask is, what are you looking to achieve? And the answer is always includes something about organizational value. Where are we getting good value from our, our investments, from our projects? So yes, and, and everything about PMO for me comes back to, to people. Yeah, yeah. I mean, every, every project is really helping people, right? We're, we're leaders of people to accomplish these goals. I, I totally agree. And, and welcome uh, from Puerto Rico, somebody on uh, this side of the world as well, right? So yeah, it's not just coming in. Yeah, absolutely. So the other thing I think about, right, is um, strategies to overcome resistance to PMOs, right? It, it's why do we need a PMO? We're, we're doing it fine the way we are. Why do we have to get organized? You're just going to bring bureaucracy. It's just going to be overhead. It's going to slow things down. Do you hear those same challenges? Oh, every, every day, every day. In fact, we were on a call with a, a client yesterday. We're, we're still not doing a lot of face-to-face -face here. So we're still in a world of Zoom, Zoom meetings and team meetings. <laughs> and we're putting a client to put a, a PPM system in. Maturity is is 
quite low, but super committed team. They really want the the outputs. They they know that they need the structure, and um, one of the reasons they know they need it is because when they're asked for information, they struggle to to provide it, and there's always a rush, and it's never quite right. And you know you've seen it a million times. Um, so the the team are on board, but what's happening is that the PMO team on the ground are pushing to get things structured. So you know we need to have um, a standard work breakdown structure, for example. And we need to make sure that we understand what templates and forms we're going to use. No longer are we just going to find one that we've used before. We are going to have standards set for this and they will all be in the system and we're all going to do everything the same way. So what the PMO team on the ground are finding is that the project managers, whilst they know they need this, they don't have the time, um, they're too busy, it's dawning on them that this is actually going to make things harder in the short term. And um, the PMO analyst that was on our call yesterday was kind of looking a little bit overwhelmed. And, and she's an experienced PMO person, so it's not her first rodeo. But and we were having a bit of a laugh. I said, you didn't take on a PMO role to make friends, did you? You, you know you didn't. You didn't do that. Nobody makes friends at first. But what we find is whilst you'll get that pushback and that resistance, once the job's done, despite how uncomfortable people might be about it, the first couple of reporting rounds, people start coming and thanking you. Well, thank you so much. Life's so much easier now. I was asked for this report and I just pressed the button and out it came. And, and it doesn't take too long before all that resistance is forgotten. And you're actually a really key value-add part of the team in your own right. Forget about the value that comes from delivering projects on time, on budget. The support that a PMO can give to a project management team if it's set up correctly and it's well-functioning means that usually you do end up making friends in a PMO. Nobody joins a PMO to make friends, but, you know, in fact, I've probably made friends with every PMO I've ever been in, but it doesn't happen straight away. Um, there's a there's a definite journey, so it's, it's probably not for everybody <laughs> uh, to that end. But, yeah, look, it's just about making sure people understand you're not doing it to be a bureaucrat um, or because you like the sound of your own voice. You're doing it because it's going to make things better. And then when it does make things better, um, you, you become a superstar. Yeah, I think back to uh, one of the things that I love every year is being a judge in the PMO Global Awards. And, and through that competition where they help select the best PMO in the world is they you have to present your journey. You have to... And, You'll see some of the entrants have about a two-year journey listed. And, and you're like, well, they just haven't gotten there yet, right? But then you get to the ones who make it to the final four, the final two, and that final round, right? They've been around for 10, 12, 14 years. And, and they talk about that now, right? Where executives come into their presentation and say how much value the PMO provides. It doesn't happen quickly. But when you reach that point, you be, have strong advocates throughout the organization of the value that you provide. And what we, what we find is, and some of our repeat business, in fact, comes from where you go and you do that in an organization, then one of the executive team leaves and goes to another organization and the PMO's immature, and then you start the journey again. So when you can provide that value and executive, scene, see, executive teams see how well that works and what that value looks and feels like, then they, for the rest of their career, will go around advocating for PMOs. So there's, you know... The reality is, though, a lot of PMOs are, you know, I, I'm guilty as charged on this one, right? But PMO managers, kind of when they're good, you know, they say, hey, let's promote the PM up to the PMO manager, right? It's the good PM. Now you're going to be a PMO manager. But they're very different, right? A PMO manager is a completely different set of skills than a project manager has. Yeah. What do you say to that new PM converted the PMO manager when they have that oh no moment, right? It's like, what did I get myself into? How am I going to handle this? What advice well, do you have for them? Well, we find that the, they're in two camps. The people who find themselves accidental PMO managers will go one way or the other, right? So a delivery PM who's passionate about delivery will usually not stay in a PMO manager role. They might do a good job, but usually they hunger for the cut and thrust of the delivery world, and they'll usually, after 12 months, um, they'll, they'll go back. 
Um, my advice to, to that person was give yourself a chance to understand the difference. Um, it's a, it is a different world. Um, you're, you're now the custodian of the standards. You're not responsible for doing it. Way more fun, I think, having done both. Yeah. Um, the other camp, though, is the, the people who have a, have a revelation. Actually, I was um, talking, to, um, talking to someone a couple of weeks ago about this very thing, and she was telling me she found herself managing a PMO. And she, her words were she felt like a creature from Mars when she landed in this role. Um, she didn't know like really how to how to be. She was a delivery person, and then she started doing the things that she thought were important. And after about six weeks, she was hooked. And they were her words. She said, "I was hooked," and I, I made me smile because that's how I felt too. Um, so you'll get the people who get into PMO and are like, "Why would I do delivery after this? This is fantastic." <laughs> And you'll get the people who just can't stop going for delivery. Um, it's it, two camps. You also get the, um, the, the, the others. So people who have come from other backgrounds, they might have been accountants or they might have been in strategy. And, you know, sometimes it's the last man or woman standing. Okay, can you go and be the PMO manager? And, you know, sometimes those people make up PMO managers as well because they've got a, almost a step removed from delivery and so can bring a different lens. Again, I always feel like to be credible as a PMO manager, and this might be a personal feeling, you need to have done some delivery. So I think it's very hard for people who haven't done anything in projects to be strong in the role. Um, but I have seen some people who've come in from kind of external to projects make, make good PMO managers. Yeah, same sort of findings for me. And just to do a, a kind of a, a plug out there for everybody with continuing education credits or PDUs are often needed to get certifications renewed. And just a reminder to everybody, right? These, these shows, these podcasts are a good source of one PDU for you to be able to claim uh, out there, whether it's PMI or other uh, affiliations that you're working through. So take these uh, sessions in, whether it's live like we're doing now, or you, you happen to do the recording, you can go out there and do some self-reporting for this time and get your PDUs in order. Uh, so always take advantage of that. Um, you know, the, the other thing that I always think about with PMOs is that it's, what is a PMO, right? Is it a project office, a program office, a portfolio office or whatever? How do you help organizations resolve through this challenge of just exactly what a PMO is? Yeah, great question. So the first question is, is, is why are you doing this? What do you want to achieve? So that's got to be the first port of call. Sometimes it's because you want to do reporting sometimes it's because you're not having predictable project outcomes everything's coming in late and it's hard to track finances so find out what's a pmo as you've said is is a spectrum of activities um from very simple one person reporting pmo to a kind of 10 person strategic enterprise pmo and and the first doesn't always turn into the last so what's important to your organization what do you want to do and that's really the place to start. So you've got to right-size it to meet that goal. What we'll usually find, though, is once that goal has been achieved, where do we want to go next? So we'll have this maturity curve. And again, you might not end up with a 10-person strategic enterprise PMO. You might end up with a little bit of portfolio prioritization. You might end up with some reporting. You might end up doing some quality assurance. It's about finding what adds, it's back to that word value again, what's going to add value to the organization. And you know if you've got that right by the level of executive support. Mm. So um, as long as you're aligned with what the executive team wants, then that will usually work quite well. Yeah, what I, what I love about these conversations, right, is the consistency of my my own thought talking to other people. So PMO Squad, we, we came up with our solution, the purpose-driven PMO. Right. And guess what the first step is? Define your purpose. Align it with expectations of your executives as to what you need to do. Right. And once you know your purpose, then go measure it. Are we achieving it or not? And then what do you do after that? Optimize to make sure you're staying fresh and, and your purpose evolves and changes over time. So we've never talked about that before. And you talked about essentially the same steps um, yeah. half the world away. 
um, about this because those are the the bread and butter that we as PMO leaders need to be able to do to have long-term success and ultimately provide value, like you said. Mm-hmm. So tell me a little bit more about Pledge Consulting, right? Um, what is it that, is there a specialty that you guys have? Is there um, functions or you do better than others? I mean, just to give a, a broader understanding of what Pledge offers. Sure, thanks. So we've got three main service areas, um, advisory. Um, so it's fair to say that, you know, 95% of our work is PMO specific. So we do a little bit of project delivery if we're asked, but we're all about the PMO really. We do advisory, so that usually entails um, supporting organizations with PMO setup, health checks. We do you know, things like PPM implementations, very much concentrating around supporting organizations to get value from PMOs. So all of the things that would sit under that. We do a bit of delivery, um, which is mostly nowadays PMO as a service. So when you will advise an organization what a PMO should look like, what what functions it should contain. Um, Sometimes people will say, that sounds hard. Can you do it for us? Um, Which we'll say, absolutely. Um, And again, the key key to that is right size. And no one wants a team of of, uh, consultants sitting there in the long term if they're not adding value. So very, very conscious that that's a real value-driven service. So delivery and advisory, we're also... um, have this year set up a capability practice. Uh, sorry, we're calling it people now. Its working title was capability. Um, we, we now have people practice um, where we do some, some training um, and we also have a professional development program for PMO managers and project managers who want to advance in their career. So that's a five-month program that's actually launching towards the end of February. Um, and we've got some you know, academics, industry experts that are going to lead that program. So that's a real passion of mine. You know, I've gotten such a lot out of the PMO world. Um, I'd quite like to help other people do the same. Um, so uh, training-wise, we don't do certifications or any of that. It's real bespoke stuff. So if an organization has a need to understand about PMO value or to do some fundamentals of project management, We'll tailor that course to meet the organization's specific needs. So relatively small part of our business, but it's a, it's a growing part, I'm, I'm happy to say. Um, I'm also um, very badly doing a PhD at the moment, <laughs> um, looking at the link between leadership development and um, project outcomes. Um, and what I've realized is that I need to, because that's something I care about very much, um, need to incorporate some of that in our service offering um, It's about being authentic for me. And and yes, um, we want to continue to um, thrive helping organizations in the the advisory space and in the delivery space. But that kind of, I've got to kind of niggle to do something that supports the broader community that's not going away. So we're very much going to kind of do a bit more in that space as as time goes on. And, you know, we've had pretty good guest list from Australia yourself, Elise Stevens and Julia Steele, Fatima Bucci, Colin Ellis, Amira Amazahari. Um, but I don't think I've ever asked any of them, like how robust is the PMO community there or within organizations? Like in the UK, I know PMO is such a, a, a accepted, strong part of organizations. In the US, eh, it could be better. I don't think it's as strong as it is in the UK. What's, what's that culture, organizational culture like there in Australia and the acceptance of PMOs? I think it's pretty strong. Um, we have a couple of conferences here, or we did in the in the old world, in the before times, yeah. um, that were just for PMO communities. And that was always a, a, a definite community of people. And look, we've tried to keep that going through some, some online events. Like in, at the end of 2020, we did a PMO Leadership Symposium, which was an online one-day event that was very well attended, purely in the PMO space. Um, we've also um, stolen some of your, I should not say stolen, in, inspired by your success. We've also set up a, a PMO and Project Leadership podcast, and, and we're just recording a new season of that, actually. And that's, again, to get in these community members uh, and try and keep that conversation going while we can't get together face-to-face so look, I think it's I think it's strong. We're not a huge 
we're not a huge population here and we're very spread out. That's one of the problems that we have. So when we have a, a conference, we're probably getting about 40 people in the room. Whereas if we did the same thing in the, in the US, we'd probably have about 300. Um, so it's the volume is quite low, but the passion is high. Um, so I, you know, I, I feel strongly that we kind of try and keep that going in, the, in these weird times we find ourselves in. Uh, and as a business, we do try and do a bit of a bit of community gathering, uh, be it virtually or, or in person. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, PMO squad, obviously, we're U.S. based, but we have an employee who is here in the States, but she's on about a six month uh, time frame where she's in Sydney right now. So every week when I, I meet with her, I, I ask her to give me a fun Australian fact so that I you know, can take advantage of this personally as well. And we met this week and she said, I think the population of Australia is about 22 or 23 million or, or so. And I, I think we're 27 million now. 27 million? 23 when I got here, I think. So we're growing, but we're still small. Yeah. And I, so I compared that here and that's like the size of the state of Texas, right? So one of our, yeah. again, one of our biggest states um, equals that. So I was, because I, I always want to put in context, landmass wise, you're basically the same size of the U.S., uh, yeah. but population wise, it's, you know, a, a tenth of the size or so. Yeah, which People people are passionate, um, but as I say, spread out. <laughs> absolutely. What else do you have for people who want to make that jump? Right. If you're a good project manager today, or maybe you're not in project management, right? Maybe you want to run PMOs. What would be that the guidance that you would give them to say, here's what you need to do to get yourself ready for a career as a PMO leader? Yeah, yeah. Great, great question. So I think it's it's about learning and self-education. So when I say learning, of course, I mean project management certifications or courses or whatever you need to do to have that theoretical knowledge, very important. As the custodian of the standards, um, you have to know what the standards are. So um, get right across, you know, whether it's um, it's whether it's PMP or whether it's PRINCE2 or whether it's Agile certifications, go and immerse yourself in, the, in, in this world. Um, LinkedIn Learning has lots of great stuff. You know, websites like ours has, has videos on that you can specialize in, in various topics. Educate, educate yourself. That's the first thing. But the second thing is, and, and some, sometimes people find this hard, is reach out to people and, and ask, you know. I'm always thrilled when someone messages me and says, um, can, you, can you tell me about this? Or have you got half an hour for a chat? I will always make that time. And most people who are passionate about PMO will say yes to. So reach out to your own network. Reach out beyond your network to people who have experience in this state, in this space. And you know, ask them what they think. Um, people, people are keen to help. It's, it is, it's a funny area. I think I, I struggle to think about other disciplines that evoke so much passion and so much discussion and debate. So there's lots out there um, to consume. But yeah, nothing like having a conversation with a person who's done the job you want to to set you up for success. Yeah, and I, I, I second that part about asking the community. Right, I. We have such a strong knit community of PMOs out there, whether it's the PMO leader global community that's that's out there, uh, certainly PMO Global Alliance, House of PMO, um, the PMO Impact Group. Uh, you know, there's so many different organizations, but if you reach out to any of them, I don't think anyone's ever told me no, right? If I, if I ask a question, if I ask someone to be on a show, if I ask them to be on a webinar, if I ask anything, it's always about we all want to improve. Right. Project management kind of has this, you know, bad connotation sometimes within organizations. So we all want to help one another get better. Do you find the same thing? Yeah, absolutely. People will give you as, as you know, people are people are busy, but they'll still for for a bit of support or morale or a bit of knowledge transfer, people will always say yes. I I, I said that's my experience. So don't, don't shoot me if somebody says that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just my luck. We're jinxed. Now, next time I'm going to ask someone to come on the show, they're not going to join us. You know, one is we're kind of getting close to time here. I want to make sure we kind of get through everything. And um, I want to be able to to get you uh, an opportunity to talk about all of your items. Are there any items or, or kind of last words of wisdom that you have for PMO leaders out there and, and or project managers, right? Anybody in our industry that you would kind of give to them? Yeah, look, persevere. 
I guess it's it's not an easy journey to to raise standards, to increase maturity, to get people to change. Because what we're usually talking about here is business transformation. So it's not easy. So persevere. Remember that it's people-centric business. You're not going to you're not going to win the battle by forcing something down someone's throat. It's conversation, it's dialogue. And yeah, I come back to that word, perseverance. Keep keep at it. Um, be it project manager or project sponsor or PMO leader. Um, we just need to keep trying to aspire the, to the standards that we, we know we need to reach. Yeah, I would agree. What's, uh, I have your LinkedIn here up on screen, but is, is that the best way to connect with you? If, if after the show, folks want to connect with you, what's, uh, how can they do that? Absolutely. Um, I'm uh, on LinkedIn quite, quite a lot. Um, I think um, we've got the company Twitter is at Pledge Consult. Uh, my personal Twitter is at Louise Will Tweet. Um, feel free to reach out um, in any way that works for you. Awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, just checking uh, the last set of comments that came in here. And, and People-centric. Nice. I love that. Great session. Thank you, Elise and Tony and all the others who, who participated with their comments throughout this. I tried to sprinkle them into the questions uh, as you were going along. So I really appreciate everyone's feedback. Um, and of course, thank you, Louise, for joining us. I really appreciate that. Uh, hopefully that you're off to a good start on your Friday. It's a good way, hopefully, to get the day going. And yeah, perfect. And thank you so much for having me on. I've been looking forward to this for, for ages. So, yeah. Thanks. Absolutely. I appreciate it. And thank you to our listeners, right, from whether it's the podcast, whether you're on LinkedIn Live, whatever your format is, we thank you for joining us every other week when we get together. I guess that's called a fortnight in Australia, right? We Non-U.S. English term. I learned that one. Yeah. Um, so thank you, everybody, for, for doing that. Uh, be sure to visit our website. You can go out to uh, projectmanagementofficehours.com or you can go out to the PMO Squad website and uh, click on podcast there to be able to catch all of our episodes. We've had fantastic guests over the years, so we're super thrilled with that. Um, and we have an amazing lineup of guests coming up. Uh, we're booked all the way through June already. Um, so look forward to hearing Candace Porter, Bruno Morganti, uh, ben Peters, Tim Creasy, Louise Worsley, Ricardo Martin, Sanjeev Augustine, Melissa McDonald. I mean, so many more coming on, covering all different topics from PMOs to project management to change management, training, you name it. Uh, they're all going to be with us. So I'm super excited for that. Um, and a reminder, of course, we do record these shows. We are live. Uh, and you can tell we're live because we responded to your feedback and questions on LinkedIn. Uh, but we do record these, right? So we're also able to catch it if you weren't able to make the make this. Um, we appreciate that. So subscribe to Project Management Office Hours on Apple Podcast or iHeartRadio, Spotify, Spreaker, whatever your platform of choice is. That's it for now. Office Hours are closed. Until next time, I'm PMO Joe, and you've been listening to Project Management Office Hours. Thanks for listening to another episode of Project Management Office Hours with PMO Joe. You're not alone in your project management journey. We're here to help you achieve your goals. Subscribe to Project Management Office Hours on your favorite podcast platform to catch all of our episodes and hear industry leaders share their story and secrets to success.